0: If someone is not living in meaning, if someone is not living in the truth of themselves, they're going to be jumping from pleasure to pleasure to pleasure to short lived five minutes of being high or or feeling cool, and then followed by the dark reality of being themselves. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Monday, and in these episodes, you'll hear Sangram interview incredible practitioners, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs within our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go.
1: Sangram here. Mark, good to see you, man.
0: How you doing? Dude, uh, I am trying to manage, just trying to survive and thrive. And thank you so much for inviting me. I've been following your journey too for like maybe the last year, year and a half, two years. I don't even know. I've just always seen your face pop up time and time again.
1: (laughs) There you go, man. We're in there. So for the folks who don't know you, I mean, I'm just going to do my introduction of you. And then please add in because I think you just have so so much going on with your life. So one, you just wrote a book. Uh, crazy time to write a book, but it's a perfect, in many ways, it could be the perfect time. Like screw being oh, yeah. shy, if you're an introvert, you're going to love this this book and whole idea around that. You do a phenomenal po- podcast that I listen to, Humans 2.0, highly, highly recommend. And then you have been kind of all over the place, being on Amazon documentary series and stuff. So things are just happening and, and you're out there, putting yourself out there, getting out of your comfort zone. So those are a couple of things I know yeah. about you
0: yeah man, absolutely. That's a that's a good way to do it, but honestly like, you know, personally for me, I've I've been marketing online for like the last 11 years. Ever since I was a kid, I had like a YouTube channel in 2008. And um, you know, really due to you know, my own life path kind of discovering who I am, I'm just trying to take that and I'm trying to point that towards something that I think is super important, and that's mental health. That's overall self-development, what does that actually mean? Because, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure you can also agree with me. I'm sure you've seen it many times where I've had people on my podcast that tell me, like, hey, I, I had $750 million in my bank account, but I was going to kill myself and commit suicide. And so after sort of me going through my own journey, after me speaking to leader after leader after leader, for me personally, this has been like what has just consume my mind and is like the number one thing that i'm focusing on. And so whether that's the book, whether that's my podcast, whether that's the Amazon Prime documentary series, that is kind of like the, the the thread. And i think because of who i am, because of my age, 22, i think i'm just in a really unique position to kind of spread this message because i'm not i'm not like a ceo, i'm not a even a doctor. I'm not a psychologist, right? And so I think a lot of people have been very receptive towards my message because I'm just like a normal guy who, who's right. just been through stuff like everyone else.
1: Yeah, that, that is a true story. I love one of the posts that you, you mentioned was about influencers versus how to influence people, where you know people talk about being perf- perfect and, and everybody knows nobody's perfect. Everybody got flaws. There's none, there's none out there that's perfect. But we all try to put this facade of like, hey, this is all good. And I think with the current circumstances, I feel like everybody is being forced to the real themselves. Um, I, I feel like, for, for example, we at Terminus, right? We, I'm, I'm looking at kids, you know, the team's family members for the first time, their kids, their pets you know, what they like, what they don't like. We're now in people's living rooms and still running businesses, still running all these things. So in many ways, I think we have been forced to come out of our shell of like whatever we want to be and be in our PJs and be our whoever we are. I don't know, what do you make of that?
0: Yeah, man, it's, it's such an interesting time uh, for sure. And I think, you know, this caused a lot of uncertainty and whatnot, but, you know, aside from the terrible things going on, like with people's lives and their health, and then also on the economic side. I mean, I think this is great in the sense of what you just said of like, I kind of feel like everyone's just kind of been sent to their room. And, you know, I'm definitely a workaholic, 100%. I've always been an entrepreneur. And now what I've really been realizing is like, who am I when I'm not trying to hustle all the time? And it really yeah. begins to like open your mind and you're like, wow, like I've, I've actually been running away potentially from some of these issues that I've just sort of been trying to hide to the back of my mind and trying to maybe use work as sort of a substitute for that. And so I think this is now the time to really ask ourselves the most important questions. Like, what am I doing this all for? Uh, Am I actually taking my health seriously? Uh, Am I sort of cherishing my loved ones? Because we could literally all die tomorrow for all we know. And so I think it's been a super interesting period because it's really sort of asked, it's sort of put a mirror against yeah. us. And it's like, who, who, who really are you when the world is shut down? Who really are you when you can't get things on Amazon the next day? And yeah. so I think it's all these factors that come in that just make like right now for both you and I, what we're doing just really, really interesting. And I don't really think anybody has the answers per se. I think it's just about having these conversations so we can kind of figure out
1: the next step in the playbook that we haven't seen before. True that, man. And I want to get to your book uh, around being shy, which uh, we, we should definitely talk like what led you to write that because there are not many people who would just go out there and say that. Hey, look, I was shy, and I'm not. I'm like, I'm still have all those fears, all those things that makes me who I am. But I'm getting out of my comfort zone. Yeah. And as you jump into that, I just want to share something that uh, on Tuesday did a LinkedIn live with Patrick Lencioni, and it was just just phenomenal. they about Um, 4,000 people registered for that. It was like set. And, you know, we we kind of marketed that. And it was really interesting where he said that one of the things that he's talking about is just having people be exceedingly human. And he repeated that over and over. Like, hey, look, it's really not about just being human. It's being exceedingly human. And there's never been a better time for you to be who you are and for people to know who you are. Because this is if you want to be a leader this is the time to be a leader. You should not be worried about it. Like this is what your role title, everything leadership is all about. So with that being said, talk, well to, said. You, talk to me about like, you know, the genesis of this book, the, the, the work that get into the why behind it. Um, and and who is this for?
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. So for me, I grew up in uh, East coast, the United States, Boston, Massachusetts, that area. Uh, a couple of years before I was born, my parents came from Egypt to this country. And, um, and for me growing up, like as a kid, I was always an introvert. And so I definitely liked spending time by myself. I had some kind of like close friends that I would spend time with just like every other introvert. And, uh, you know, what's really interesting is that when I was kind of like writing this book, and I was doing the research, a lot of people told me like, well, isn't being shy or isn't having social anxiety? Isn't that just a normal part of being an introvert? And it's interesting because when you actually look at the definition, their are emotions, ideas, uh, feelings, emotions, and they get energy from that. And so that's just like a tendency of like how your brain works. It doesn't make you any less or any more. And you could be an introvert and have a ton of friends and be very social. And for me, I sort of began to get seriously shy. As a kid, when I ended up moving schools as a kid to this very rural small town with five thousand people, and also at that time, this was post nine eleven in america, and so the the Middle Eastern brand really really declined, right yeah. um, and so for me, as a kid faced a a ton of racism, a ton of bullying. I also began to have some physical health issues, and when that began to happen. I saw myself get extremely shy. You know, I think it's totally normal and natural to feel shy every once in a while. You know, maybe you're doing something new for the first time. That's totally okay. But there are people who, for one reason or another, they become shy in every scenario they walk into. No matter who they have to talk to, they are shy. And if that happens for a while, then that becomes social anxiety where even if someone wants to speak to someone, their brain doesn't let them because it's created this feedback loop between their mind's nervous system and their body where the physical signs of anxiety will keep somebody trapped between their mind and body where again, like even if they want to speak, they can't. And so for me, I kind of experienced this for a solid 10 years of my life. And I had no friends. I, ha- I wasn't a part of any groups, clubs, sports as a result of that. And really, the the really interesting thing about social anxiety is that it's one of the most common anxiety conditions in America. And it's also... Extremely detrimental because a lot of people from the outside see this and they're like, Oh, you know, so what? You're an introvert. You can't really talk to people. And again, nothing wrong with being an introvert. Totally okay. But when you have social anxiety, that leaks into every area of your life. And when you actually look at the data out of all the anxiety conditions, social anxiety is the most correlated with substance abuse and is the most correlated with social isolation, which is tightly, tightly correlated to suicide. And so for me, when I was 18 years old, and I began to actually realize that I had social anxiety, my problem actually got worse. And next thing I know, I'm, I'm, uh, my social anxiety goes to social isolation. I just stopped talking to people in general. Uh, I get super depressed. I start using food as a coping mechanism. Next thing I know, I'm like 220 pounds, and I become suicidal. And all these things kind of happen at the same time when I was 18 years old. And then eventually, when I was able to climb out of this, and then now I was 22, and kind of looking at all this stuff in hindsight, I was like, "Wow, this is this is such a serious issue that so many people are facing, and yet it is very much invisible." And then when you look at sort of how our society in sort of a standard way deals with mental health in general, it's usually like, go see a therapist, go see a doctor. And then if it gets really bad, call the suicide hotline. And I mean, mental health is a stigma in and of itself already. Like people have enough trouble talking about it, especially with someone else. And people who have social anxiety are like that times 10,000. And so a lot of these people that have social anxiety, end up taking their lives or end up living a life of social isolation and some kind of substance doesn't have to be drugs, it could be food like it was in my case, and it leads to so many issues and so for me, I kind of wrote this book because i know I know a ton of uh clinical psychologists, I know a ton of people that are in the space that talk about like confidence and being yourself, and that's all awesome, but I had yet to kind of find a book that takes a scientific approach while also written by somebody totally normal like me, where I talk about my story. I talk about other people's stories that have gone through this because this is such a hard topic to talk about because for someone that goes through this and they read my book, they're like, man, this was written for me. I thought nobody else could understand the mind games that my brain was playing. People with social anxiety, they walk into a room and their brain starts to tell them like, You know, you look down at your at your shoes and you see like a like a brown smudge on the side of your shoe and then you start looking at other people's shoes and then you're like, oh, my God, what if someone takes a look at the smudge and then they they make fun of me or, oh, uh, look at that person in the front of the room that just turned around to talk to their friend. Did they just give me a dirty look? Did they hate me? Are they talking bad about me? That's what social anxiety is. You know, social anxiety is not you being afraid to ask a girl to the prom. That's totally normal. People who are in this, they're like those people who are sitting in the back of the office or sitting in the back of the classroom who don't really participate, who maybe sit alone most of the time or maybe with one other person. These are people who... Not all of them. These are people who are suffering on the inside and their brain doesn't let them talk about it. And so I, I came out with this. This book has been endorsed by like holistic psychologists neuroscientists, uh, entrepreneurs, billionaires, people that have seen this issue play out in so many different areas of their life. So I was just like, man, I got to make this because the world needs this.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And first of all, congratulations again on the book, getting a book done at this age and at this time. It, it's, really, it's not easy. It's not something. And you, you definitely have brought in the real you, uh, which makes it, makes it really interesting. I didn't realize until this conversation how the mind-body trap works. And now I wonder, uh, looking at not just the bright side of like, yeah, families coming together and stuff like that. But I'm thinking about all the people who actually are suffering from what you just talked about and are now at their homes because they can't go anywhere. In some ways, is that more comforting for them? (laughs) Because they're like, oh, gosh, finally, I don't have to do this (laughs) water cooler conversation anymore or is that actually because of the the cycle of social anxiety leading up to depression leading up to suicide it, that that whole thing is is pretty evident what's what do you make out of it yeah man that's such an
0: interesting question and and yeah i mean it, it, it's so interesting to like in my book i talk about the fact that um like social isolation is probably one of the worst things that you could ever do to yourself yeah. <laughs> like for your mental <laughs> and psychological health right, right. But now now we literally have to and so it's such an interesting time. And so I think if someone is like a, a healthy introvert, then I don't think this will really be a problem for them. But I think with someone who really is suffering with their mental health, I, as, as much as it sucks to say this, this is going to be a great amplifier. And especially when someone is in their house, their feelings and emotions are um, are much more heightened yeah. and they experience them because they're in a closed environment, you know? And so that's why I say to people like, if you, if you don't live in like an extremely crowded city, you have to prioritize going outside and taking a walk. Like you yeah. have to, it's super important, right. but you know, honestly, man, like the, the note that you mentioned on the mind body connection, you know, this could be an analogy that can be quite frankly expanded to a lot of other issues, but with social anxiety, this is the biggest thing, right? So going back to that scenario of you being in an office are you being in a classroom in a social setting and your mind starts to get those socially anxious thoughts? What happens is when your mind starts to think like that, your body then begins to slowly freak out. Like your legs will start tapping. Your hands might start shaking. Your armpits, the palms of your hands, your forehead might start to sweat. Your throat might to tighten up and clench in your mind starts to race. And then let's say you do have to talk, then your mind just goes blank and you have no idea what you're saying. And so what'll happen is the real issue with this is the body eventually stores patterns of the mind because the body is the unconscious mind. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is with people with social anxiety, they can walk into a room, into a social setting and they may not even be anxious. Their thoughts may not even be socially anxious. But what'll happen is because their body has stored these feelings and will trigger, if it's in a certain environment for so long, that someone will sit down and then, next thing you know, uh, they'll start to sweat. Their feet will start to shake. Uh, Their throat might start to clench. And then what'll happen is their minds will see that and then their mind will begin to race. Their mind will begin the social anxiety. And so, even if someone who isn't feeling socially anxious, who has social anxiety and it's gotten to that point, they can't even talk if they want to. And so they begin to talk and then their body and, and brain triggers the same fight or flight response as you would when someone else is uh, freaking out or you get into a car accident. And so the thing about this is this isn't, this is not an old issue. This is actually one of the most ancestral. Primal fears as a human being. And I remember when I was speaking with Seth Godin on my podcast, he was, he was actually telling me this because we were, we were talking about this sort of in a bigger note of like marketing and branding. And he was telling me that as humans, our brains have evolved to live in groups. Okay. And, And so when you look at like an evolutionary chart for thousands of years, we have been. The the vast majority, like 98% of that, of those thousands of years, we have been living in ancestral hunter-gatherer societies where you lived in a tribe, you lived in a community, you guys relied on each other. There were some people that were collecting berries. There wow. were some people that were hunting, right? And so um, common punishment for maybe speaking up against the leadership of your group or your tribal leader was social exile them kicking you out of the the group was really
1: the punishment at that time.
0: (laughs) exactly because why because if you were by yourself you'd probably get killed by some animal you would you'd run out of food right this is a completely different time and so our brains have equated social rejection and judgment as to that and so people who who really suffer with this at like a fear mental neurochemical level they're more, they're more prone to this issue. And it's like every time they try to talk, their brain is telling them, dude, you're going to die. You're going to get kicked out. You're going to get destroyed. And so a lot of these people with social anxiety, you can usually link back to a moment in their childhood where things really took a turn. So for me, like I said, that was being in an environment where nobody... Racially looked like me. There was zero racial diversity and I experienced, uh, pretty severe racism and abuse and bullying. And so for me, that was the trigger. For some other people, it's they move to a different location. For some other people, it's their parents get divorced and they feel like they don't know how to talk to someone. And so this issue is, it runs the gambit, but nonetheless, it's a pretty serious issue because not a lot of people know about it. And then not a lot of people know about the solutions on how to actually help yourself before the social issue. And so like for me, when I'm talking to people about this, there are a lot of things that you can begin to do just by yourself before you actually take that step to like begin to expose yourself to these fears of of talking with people. And And that right now might be a little bit more interesting and a little bit more harder to do because of social
1: distancing and whatnot. Absolutely, man. But I think this because this is happening right now, we are all in the social social isolation. I'm seeing a bunch of people having questions and thoughts on that. Talk, maybe give two or three tips for people who are in this, who are probably going to have the most negative impact. As you said, it's amplified for them. What can they do? to address that, like just give them two or three things that you would say, hey, look, if you're like me, if you're an introvert, if you have all these issues right now, this might be as heightened as you said, do these two or three things that might just help them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So honestly, the biggest one, like the one that I could give that could move like the biggest needle on someone, like the, the do this 20% and it'll move the rest of the 80%, that would be about this, this neurotransmitter in our brains called serotonin, okay? And so if you look at the mental health communities and even like the leadership communities, like Simon Sinek talks about this, there's this neurotransmitter called serotonin. This does a lot of things in our body from regulating our mood to our sleep, to our sexual desire, to uh, our functioning in social groups. And so this is extremely, extremely important for people who quite frankly have social anxiety and then also people that like wanna dominate. Yeah in, in, respectfully, in a, in a great way, social yeah. situations and be a leader and, and rise up. So they found that people with social anxiety, they have some sort of a dysfunction in their serotonin, where mm-hmm. their body is either producing too much or too little. And after speaking with a lot of neuroscientists, a holistic psychologists, honestly, the biggest way to move this needle at like a biochemical level mm-hmm. is the emerging field that's happening right now in healthcare called nutritional psychiatry. And so what they found is that maybe 20 years ago, if you asked a lot of the latest scientists, they would say that most of our serotonin is in our brain. Mm -hmm. turns out that's actually not true. Only 5, 10% of serotonin is in your brain, which is crazy because it's a a neurotransmitter. 90 to 95% of serotonin is in your gut microbiome, which is this ecosystem that I never learned about in school between your stomach and intestines that, you know, speaking of bacteria and what's going on is a vast ecosystem of trillions of bacteria, funguses, and viruses that have integrated throughout our body that create many, many functions and work hand in hand in a symbiotic relationship with our body. And so for me, when I was at my worst, when I was socially isolating myself, depressed, suicidal, over 200 pounds... I talk about this in my book and the chapter is called first my gut broke and then my brain broke. And I talk (laughs) about the time, like the only time in my life where I had serious depression, the only time in my life where I was suicidal was when I would come home every night because I was so depressed and anxious and I would try to cope with my feelings by shoving pizzas and ice cream and candies down my mouth. And so that's definitely not the case. And so when you look at that, If someone can really just begin to adjust their diet, that can work wonders. And and like, there's so much talk on diet. Everyone talks about diet. Like, Is this diet the best? Is this diet the best? The truth is, is there's no such thing as a universal healthy diet. But the one thing that I would say is universal is try your best to not consume uh, junk food, artificial food, uh, things that have been made by factories, things that have been made by scientists, things that like when you go to the grocery store and you flip the box over and you look at the ingredients, there's like an entire essay and it's like dimethyl dioxide carb. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so a lot of people look at that and they're like, Oh, I, I probably don't know what it means because I'm not smart because I'm not educated in this. No, 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 no. Like you don't have to have a degree to know what you're putting in your body. And so my golden rule is like, if you're reading the ingredients and you don't recognize it, when you put that in your body, your body is also not going to recognize it. And it can have varying functions. And to be quite honest, the people who I see that are impacted the most by this are kids and also by elderly people. And so, like, for example, uh, this is the craziest part. So in the UK, they've done studies that show like the most color, the most popular food dyes that's in most kids' foods and most junk foods, like the brightly colored stuff, yellow six, blue 40, yellow five. In that study, they showed that that can actually cause ADHD in children and other behavioral disorders. And that's why, like if you look at the European Union, they've banned 500 food ingredients that if you go to an American supermarket, they're all there. And the worst part about this, It's the same companies that are doing this. And so um, some major food conglomerate will come out with like, I don't know, Oreos. And like in the American version, they'll put in a ton of crap that is detrimental towards people's mental health, let alone physical health. And then that same company that makes the same thing in Europe, they'll make the same thing. But if you look at the ingredients, they remove them. And so this is honestly one of the biggest things because like, it's a lot easier as much as food is an issue, like in everyone's day to life, especially like a lot of people are addicted to food now. A lot of people have uh, eating disorders. A lot of people, when they're stuck inside, all they're doing is just binge eating on snacks. A major part of that is because food has largely hijacked our 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 neurochemistry. And what I'm talking about is we now have food combinations that didn't exist 50 years ago. And when, and like they've done studies, I talk about this in my book. They've done brain scans in this one particular study. They did brain scans in people that were addicted to hard drugs, crack, cocaine, heroin. And they did brain scans of people who consume junk food on a daily basis. They found that the way their brains process that energy with their gray matter was identical between the two groups. And so what I tell people is this. Don't eat processed artificial food because there's no such thing as a universal healthy diet. Number two, don't focus on not eating junk food. Like a lot of people say, oh, yeah, man, I'm I'm going on a diet. I'm going to focus on not eating pizza and not eating ice cream. Well, here's the thing. If you take a look at human psychology and you tell somebody to not eat this thing, to not eat this thing, especially when we're talking about something that is potentially addictive, all they're gonna do is fall in these you cycles, the toxic yeah. cycles of oh, uh, I guess I'll have a bite, and the next thing you know, the box is gone, and then you feel like crap, and then you hate yourself, and then you're like, oh, I'm gonna go on that diet tomorrow, and then you wake up in the morning, and then your brain is deficient in a lot of these nutrients that have been deprived because of this junk food. So then you're not in a good state. So then you go towards the thing that give you energy from before. And so what I tell people is try to focus on adding as much. Uh, mm-hmm. Healthy fats, uh, nutrients, vegetables into your diet because those things will really move you far. And so if you're able to do this, this is gonna really move the needle because it's gonna give somebody energy, the right kind of energy in their mind. And people who are susceptible to this issue, they either have too much energy in their brain or they have too little. And the last thing that I'll say is that if you take a, a graph um, of someone's energy levels, who has anxiety and depression and a mood disorder, and you take a look at a graph of someone who consumes um, very processed, sugary, high glycemic foods, the mood is almost identical. What'll happen is someone will begin to feel the signs of anxiety for whatever reason, and then they'll eat something with a ton of sugar. And because sugar is one of the fastest forms of energy to your brain, they'll eat that quickly, and then they just fueled a ton of anxiety to their brain. And then what will happen is an hour, they'll crash. They might feel a little bit depressed. They might feel tired. And then they get in that same cycle again and again and again and again. And yeah. honestly, like the reason why I talk about this stuff is because the way that I look at this issue is uh software and hardware. Okay. Mm-hmm. Software is someone's mindset. It's their positive, negative thoughts in their brain it's their belief system, it's who they spend their time with, it's the books they read, it's the podcasts they listen to, who they're around. And then there's the hardware, which is whatever your software is running on. And so, even like the, the analogy that I make in my book is like even if you have like the best version of iOS from Apple, you have like iOS iOS 15 or whatever they're on now. And you're trying to install that on an iPhone 2 that's yeah. super old and slow and obsolete. Like You you could try to keep trying to click that install button. You're not going to go as far as if you work on both of these together. Or if you do recognize you're in a position where your hardware really does suck, then you just focus on that. It's going to make it Exponentially easier to then install this the, the software, the mindset, the positive thinking yeah. onto that hardware in the first place. So that's that's usually how I start off with people because it's one of the most powerful things when it comes to getting your serotonin levels right, which is super important for social anxiety and largely mental health too.
1: No doubt, man. And dude, I love uh, Dean Rossen, who was one of uh, my personal mentors. He, uh, I go to his boot. I used to go to his boot camp. Uh, because right now there's no boot camp happening anyway. Yeah. Church, is also my Bible study leader. And he nice. talked about the idea of like, you know, he's 56, and I have not seen anybody more fit than him. Yeah. And he showed me his picture when he was 30, and he was like obese, and all oh, wow. the he's Italian. So it's like, like, look, that's fine, like, you know, ravioli, or, like, or big deal. And then at 40, he became like really fit into like, and and started entering into bodybuilding competition. And at 50, he's like the fittest guy I know. And what's interesting about him is like, hey, look, it's actually 70-30. You can't, 30% is really workout, but 70% is the food that you actually work, that you have in your body. So, and I love your analogy of the software hardware, which is the mindset and the fuel that you put in your body is that your software will only work as fast as it can if you have the right amount of fuel and the right kind of fuel at that time. Dude, this is, this is super, super, super awesome. All right, so I'm, I'm gonna share a couple of uh, big ideas from this and then I'm gonna share what have you share, how people can reach you, and two, uh, just one challenge that you wanna give people sitting at home today. Like, this Ooh. is what you do, right? So big ideas. Number one, there's a big connection of ma- mind and body. Uh, I'm just learning and I I don't think anybody should take this lightly. It doesn't matter who it's coming from, like from me, from Mark or Dean. This is just reality. There's a big connection between mind and body. And we all know when we eat bad food and how we react to things versus good food. I was just thinking as you were sharing this is that I just put both of my kids, they're five and nine. I put a big bowl of cereal for them. thinking is the healthy thing, but it's really high sugar. And I know they're going to kind of go crazy in an hour. And I'm kind of this is what we do. We try to go the easy route. I'm doing that right now in my own home. And the reality is, I'm just pumping sugar in them right now and not healthy stuff. Um, and it's, I give you an alternative. Yeah, I'm
0: like seriously. So, yeah. So there's so uh, so I'm actually friends with their CEO. So this uh, this company they were on Time Magazine's Top 100 Most Important Inventions of 2019. It's right. called Magic Spoon, and literally what it is, yeah. it's it's cereal that I've tried it literally tastes better than normal cereal has has sugar but has uh low glycemic sugar doesn't have any normal uh sugar is not made out of anything that can hurt them totally huh. natural that's what I would recommend and I mean yeah it is a little bit more pricier yeah. but it's way oh. worth it. I mean I sometimes eat it it, it tastes so good. <laughs> yeah dude, that's
1: a great alternative I just felt like oh man that's horrible like I literally put it and then I'm like what's wrong with you like uh-huh. they have no idea it's me who's not helping them. Um, So that's then the two. I think people should take this very seriously. The whole idea of what you mentioned about tribes and how we actually are mentally, physically supposed to be and how right now we are mandated to be in social social isolation. That can have tremendous negative effects on you personally, on your family. Now, right now, because maybe we're in the honeymoon stage of like the first week and second week and craziness of things. You're like, hey, this is great family, but yeah, like after some <laughs> time, you might be like, what's wrong? So just try to just pace yourself, take one day at a time, plan out. You know, maybe this is the best time. I've been asking people like, look, you literally, we all have now three, at least two to three more hours in the day just for things, right? There's no commute, there's no so if you have three four hours in the day. Go pick up something, a new hobby, read another book, like wake up early, maybe exercise. Like there's so many things other than flipping the channels. So yeah. I think I think it's a really interesting time out of this this moment, out of this unfortunate circumstance. I think people are gonna come in either really strong or really on the negative side. And I'm very careful about it as I put that out there, is yeah, it can be because you are forced to be like this right now. And if you're not careful it can turn really, really bad. So thank you for sharing a lot of, a lot of the tips on how, how you're not to do it. And the last part of all of this, I, I really like, and I want to go back to the very first thing you said, and I wrote down and I highlighted. This might be the time for you to start answering and asking, really, who are you? What, what are you made up of? What your character is? This is the time where your character is going to be revealed. Not form in many ways it's actually gonna get revealed, so so be very careful of that, so ask that question and be mindful of that as you look at it. so with that being said, Mark, um share a little bit of how people can reach you if they don't know how to yet, and then two um obviously go get the, your book uh you know it's it's really really interesting. The more I think about it, this is I'm still waiting for mine to come in. I think it's just with i mean Amazon yeah. is probably obviously the necessary things, so I'm still yeah. waiting. And then um ultimately like share a challenge for everybody to kind of take action on to that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh obviously you can get the book Screw Being Shy uh, on Amazon. But the fastest place to get it right now is Barnes and Nobles. Pretty sure you get it like the next day uh through delivery or I don't know if they're doing uh curbside pickup anymore, but I'm okay. not sure. But Amazon Barnes and Nobles, Screw Being Shy. And um and yeah, I mean what I would say too is like this book is primarily for people who would put themselves in the bucket of maybe being a little bit too introverted, a little bit too shy, have social anxiety. But honestly, I've had like, I've had, um I've had David Meltzer. I've had a ton of other entrepreneurs read it. And they've said that this is a, a solid, easy to read blueprint for anyone's mental health in general, that's backed up by science. So that's what I would say. And then a, a challenge is this. So, you know, I don't, I don't think that food is the main issue, right? Like food is the vehicle in which people can either get sicker or get healthier, but there's much deeper underlying things that are happening. And so for me, a really interesting thing that I found on my journey is that it's this entire relationship that I have with pain. It's the fact that the reason maybe why I didn't transform into the person who I actually am today earlier in my life is because I wasn't letting myself feel the pain because any time when any kind of discomfort or inconvenience would arise, I would immediately get a donut. I would immediately play video games. I would immediately watch TV. I would immediately run towards some sort of pleasure, mind numbing, inducing, feeling, substance, it doesn't have to be a substance to numb that. And what I found is the reason why it's so painful is because I wasn't living in the truth of my life. And so what I found is that every like this starts off when you're a kid, this is a relationship that you have with yourself. Every time that you lie to somebody else, like let's say you and I are doing this live stream and you ask me a question and I lie to you. What I just did right there is I took the real authentic, truthful version of me. And I just threw that to the back and I summoned, created this artificial version of myself. And I'm putting that to the front of my reality. And on top of that, when I lie that is also telling me that I care more about what you have to think of me, your opinion, than my opinion of myself. And so what I found is that we do this all throughout our lives so often that next thing you know, you don't even know who you are. And when you don't know who you are, you are disassociated from your life. And when you're disassociated, you don't feel the high highs, and you don't feel the low lows. This is why people say, oh, I'm unmotivated to, to work on my career. Well, it's like, is this actually your career in the first place? Or have you just been drifting? And so when it comes to like what you said, your comment on people flicking through the TV channels, if someone is not living in meaning, if someone is not living in the truth of themselves, they're going to be jumping from pleasure to pleasure to pleasure to short-lived five minutes of being high or or feeling cool, and then followed by the dark reality of being themselves. And so an exercise that I talk about in the book is like, if you can begin to sit down with yourself and figure out like, what are the lies that I told myself as a kid or as a young adult? What are the lies that I told other people in my life? What have I been trying to hide from myself? And if you sit down and and you're thinking about this right now as you're listening to this, the logical side of your brain is going to give you some simple, sweet answer in like three minutes. It's just going to be like, yeah, you lied about this thing, or whatever. But if you're actually able to sit down in a room with no stimulus, no phone with like an extended period of time you're going to be able to get into a lot of like deep corners of our minds that we just, that just quite frankly doesn't surface in our day-to-day lives because of work, because of our family. And so that's like a critical, critical piece that I could tell people a challenge to do because once you get on that right, then you can really figure these things out. And it's like, listen, like if, if you're trying to like, I, I mentioned this in the book and it's like, You can be eating all the kale and all the broccoli you want to, but if you're not living in the truth of your life, it's it's an empty promise. And so that's what I would say. Don't lie to yourself. Try to find the truth. And the last thing that I'll say is I interviewed, sorry, I interviewed Harvard professor David Sinclair and he's all about lifespan and longevity. And I was asking him like, Hey, what are five quick tips that someone can do to increase their health longevity? And number four on that list was don't lie to anybody. And it actually turns out that there are like some serious, like neurological issues that can happen if someone lies again and again and again, that can quite frankly distort them from reality and have them running and remembering like 10,000 things that they wouldn't have said. I think it was either Albert Einstein or Mark Twain that says, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything.
1: Yeah. And so like
0: this, this theme has been stored in in countless things like uh, Disney's Pinocchio, yeah like this this theme, this lesson has been taught in every single culture society tradition. And so yeah. whether that's in your real life or whether it's online, the truth is the number one because that creates the environment for bad mental health
1: later oh. on in your life. yeah, you have to dig, dig through one i mean we I mean we teach our kids this all the time, right? It's in awesome. you know, from every every text of so the beginning of time. And yet we do that. So, and if, if you're doing it today, as you're saying, subconsciously, where you don't even know you're doing it, that's bad. That's rough. And, and I'll be the first to admit, I think I've done. It. And sure. it, it is, it is something that is, is a reminder for yourself, because I, I know I tell my kids, like, hey, don't do this. And as much as possible, I don't think we do it now normally, naturally, but I think we have to also help ourselves understand, like, hey, if you don't do something instead of have done and go back and do it, you just did that. Like you just you, it's, it's a personal respect thing that you're putting away. So it's a really good way to it's like, hey, look, ultimately, this whole thing is about finding you, the real you. So find Literally. it, make it, use this opportunity. Look at this as an opportunity for life to say, hey, I'm going to spend some time with myself, my family and, and really get to do it. So don't, don't waste this uh, and and do everything you can to help others. So Mark, thanks, man. I'm super excited. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah,
0: of course, dude. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you to everyone watching this live stream. This has been amazing. Hope everyone out there is just, you know, being extra human. I forget the term that you said, but being superhuman yeah, and just kind of realizing, yeah, yeah, having empathy for one another and just realizing that we're all kind of out of our, out of our routine, out of our zone right now. And that can have some good things that can have some bad things. But at the end of the day, um, you know, I think this is just a season of life and seasons come and go. And so I think that's the main thing. We just got to have more conversations.
1: Let's do more conversations.
0: You've been listening to the flip my funnel podcast to make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player.